you know, when you go to a youth camp and you can't read because there's not enough light, it tells you you're too old to be here. That's what it tells you. Amen? From the front row, old man? The only good thing about having the fries and Cliff here is that I'm not the oldest person here. Well, actually, Jewel, I won't say anything about Jewel. She's probably younger than me. Right, Jewel? <laughs> um, this doesn't count toward my message, okay? So these, this is just some interesting thoughts. I, you know, I'm sitting here, youth camp setting, come pulling up, and some of you guys wouldn't know this because you guys are just distance in age from me, but I used to be a youth pastor, and so my last youth camp leading a youth camp like this was 20 years ago. 1997 would have been the last youth camp that I left uh, in the hands of Mr. Jeff Earhart after that, who began to lead youth ministry, and, and then Evan after that. And so obviously you can see it's only improved as things have moved along. Um, but you know, here's, here's an interesting privilege just for me that I just can't overlook. Right, so I'm, I'm going to have a chance to speak to you guys tonight. And... Uh, you know, the Earhart girls, your dad was in my youth group. Gabe, your mom was in my youth group. Matthew, your mom was in my youth group. Ben, your mom was in my youth group. And that's what I get. I don't think I'm looking, leaving anybody out. But man, when you look around and God has given you the grace to be together with people for this many generations and to walk together, it's just a privilege for me to be here speaking to you guys and sharing some thoughts with you. Um, let me just share the, one more thing before I have us read this passage. I came to know Christ at about the age that you guys are. It was right before I turned 15 years old. And I had a real encounter with the power of God at that age of my life. I can remember to this day going to a meeting. It was in February of 1979, and I went to this church meeting. And, and it didn't all begin right there. I mean, there were, there, was, there were some things leading up to it that God was doing in my life. There was some, some knowledge of God that I was getting by just reading the Bible. But, but God was doing a work in my life that would radically shift who I was from that moment forward. And I, I, would, I just want to present that to you because many of you guys have had the blessing of coming up in a church. I, I didn't have that blessing. I, I didn't grow up taught the word of God. I didn't grow up encountering God that way. And so I got into all kinds of trouble. And, and I was, you know, a kid that was headed in a really bad direction. But God met me. And so some of what we're going to talk about tonight and some of what this setting provides for you is a real opportunity to encounter God in a way that you don't have a script for. You don't even know what it's going to turn into. I, I had no idea at just before I turned 15 years old, what God was about to do in my life. No idea. I'd have never been convinced that someday I would be a pastor of a church. I'd be speaking to youth. I'd be speaking to folks all over the place. I, I didn't have any concept of the future God had for me. But God can come into your life in such a powerful way that relating to him is not just a matter of, well, it's just what my family does. It's what I've always done. There is an encounter with the power of God that can begin something in your life. And don't, don't overlook that. Don't be here and just go through the motions of being at a youth camp. You never can tell when it's the meeting that God is going to meet you. 
and he's going to rewrite the script of your future. And from that moment, from that meeting on in 1979, my life drastically changed. It instantly changed in very significant categories. And then it just kept on changing for years and years and years to come. And I trust that God's still at work changing me now. So that was at 15 years old. How many of you guys are older than 15? Right here, right? I mean, there's a chunk of you guys that, you know, Cliff, yeah, a lot older than 15, okay? 15 like cubed or something like that. Um, you guys are in a, in a greater place than I was in. You're, you're older and you've been around God's word. And you can encounter God in such a way that God can impart something to you that who knows what the rest of the script will be for you. This coming school year, the rest of your life. So don't, don't disconnect from God while you're in this setting. And let me just uh, also, just as a former youth pastor, just quite a bit of thank yous. I look around at all you guys that are here serving and helping. What, what a huge blessing you are uh, to Evan and to Keith and Jeff and all the pastors that are here trying to provide for their churches. And you guys are giving up time and serving and laying your lives down. So, so very grateful for each of you doing that. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, the passage we're in, I put it in your notes there. I think we've got a passage up here on the board as well that you can read with me. Let's go back into 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and let's hear something about this, this power that I'm talking about. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. That's pretty radical. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplant your faith with virtue, as you guys heard last night, and now virtue with knowledge. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, supplanting what God has begun in your life with knowledge. How many of you guys would be familiar with the phrase, art imitates life? Have you ever heard that phrase before in school or something? Okay, just Jeff. All right. Um, well, it is a little bit old. Cliff, I suppose you may have been around when this was written. There was a guy named Aristotle. Did you know him personally? Um, Aristotle wrote a book called Poetics. It was just his writing. And it's actually been used in the Western world quite a bit. If you want to understand how to do fiction, how to write fiction, and maybe you guys aren't big fiction readers, but maybe you've watched movies, and there's a, a fictional component to movies. And so he coined this phrase that art imitates life. In other words, when I write a story or I create a movie, I, I, I pull from real life stuff and I tell the story using real life stuff. All right, well, you guys would be familiar with some of these movies. Help me out here. Um, now, this, this would be Familiar stuff. I'm gonna call them the Fab Four. If you if you watch any of these movies, all these adventure action kind of movies that are really popular, they all have got these components to it, right? They've got a conflict and a struggle, 
right? There's something that's been going on for ages and ages. And most of them, they start with an awareness that there's this war that's been going on since the dawn of time. And so each one of these things kind of lets you in on previous chapters of a conflict and a struggle that's been taking place. And they're all longing for, number two, they're a, a future with hope and peace. They're worn out, right? You can just look at each one of those movies and remember the storylines where the characters They're worn out by this long war that's been taking place and they can't resolve the conflict, but they long for a day when everything will be at peace and there's going to be hope again. And the whole storyline travels along trying to reach for this future and this hope. There's there's all kinds of intensity. What makes the, the scenes really interesting is the escapes, right? When they escape from threats and there's this evil or this corrupt power and you know you immediately learn how to pick sides in these movies and you see who you're for and the intensity is because you know at any moment the characters that you like and there's this impending corrupt thing that's pressing in on them and wants to destroy their lives and that's the great scenes of the movie and then that last thing is is tapping into some kind of mysterious power right and in all these movies there's always this mysterious power involved, right? And I I don't know all these movies really well, but, you know, obviously Star Wars has got, you know, there's this mysterious force out there and there's something about how to, how to touch it, how to animate it in your own life and what it will do to you and the advantage that it's going to give to you or the Lord of the Rings, obviously the ring, if you just have the ring, it can revolutionize everything about your life. How do you get this power in your life? And I guess the, the Avenger guys have got this Tesseract thing. I'm not really a big Avengers guy. But they got this Tesseract, this strange meteorite-looking stone thing that's, that's capable of all kinds of power. And all these movies are trying to figure out, how do you tap into this mysterious power? All right, well, that's what I just said describes every one of these movies. And we could put 100 movies up there that are like that, right? You ever thought, where did they get the idea to write these movies this way? Why do they all have these same components to it? And listen, you know, some of these movies are really well done, man. They put together just scenes and great acting and the characters and the music involved. And you just get drawn into this thing. You're like, wow, that's just a great story. Where'd they get the story from? Well, can I tell you, they, they stole it from 2 Peter chapter 1. Right? Let, me, let me help you see some of these things. Let me that thing. All right, I colorize this stuff so you could see these elements in God's story. Right? God's doing something here. And we start off reading his divine power. There's mysterious power. God has mysterious power. And later on, it says that so that through these promises, you may become a partaker of the divine nature. So the Bible talks about the fact that the life of God and the power of God is something that you and I, we're we're supposed to get around it. We're we're supposed to have an exchange with it. We're supposed to tap into that power. That's part of God's plan, right? So we keep reading that verse. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who's called you into his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises. So, so in the midst of the struggle of life, God sets forth this idea. I've made promises to you. I've got a future for you. And they're great 
precious promises and they're pertaining to life. So there's this sense that somewhere in life, you and I can have hope. Somewhere in this life, you and I can have something to live for and there can be peace in our hearts. Right? Well, that's what we find in all these movies, right? And we keep reading. So that you may, that's that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So there's, there's this sense of escaping. Right? You live a life in this world that's trying to escape stuff. Right? And now let that be real for a second, because, I mean, listen, I, I remember a little bit about what it was like to be a teenager. And, man, it, it's hard. It's hard. There's, I mean, you're at the crossroads of a bunch of stuff going on in your life. Right? You, you've lost that sort of childhood simplicity where life was simple and you didn't care about a lot of stuff just as long as your parents didn't leave you at the mall or something and forget who you were. You're kind of good. I'm going with whatever. Hey, we're going on vacation. Hey, I've got friends in the neighborhood. Life is easy. Can we have pancakes tonight? It's, it's just life is good. And then somewhere along the way, you kick into being a teenager and, and life becomes full of thoughts, a lot more feelings, a lot more awareness Concerned about friends. Concerned about who you are. How you make an impression. Are, are you attractive? Are you funny? Are you talented? Are you going to make the team? Are people going to think much of you? Is that, is that person going to be your friend? Oh my gosh, I've got to go to a new school. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that comes. So, I mean, if you were really honest, if I could sit one-on-one with you and just talk honestly and say, hey, is there anything in your life right now you would like to escape from? I bet you'd have a list. I did. Lots of things that I was just afraid to do. And, and some of you guys here, can it's break news to some of you guys who are cool? You can, raise your hand real quick if you're cool. Just Jeff again, see? Um. <laughs> the worst thing in the world that can happen is you ever sign on for thinking you're cool. It's the worst thing that can happen. Because it, it just installs a level of performance and fear from then on. Because the last thing in the world you can afford is to find out you're not all that cool or to get around people and have them explain to you you're not all that cool. So you can't let that happen. And that's a fear you live with every day when you go to school, when you get around people, you're trying to maintain this image. Listen, I remember what it was like to be a teenager. So these issues become real-life issues that, that we want to escape from some of these things. There, there's a corruption in this world. There's a brokenness, a sinfulness in this world that makes everything that we do really, really hard. Now, what's that got to do with this subject I have tonight. Well, here's my assignment in this passage uh, has to do with something that really fundamentally, I think I put this in your outline there, it's fundamentally is going to allow us to tap into this power and these promises and a future that escapes the darkness in this world. There's, there's something that allows us to connect with the life of God, to receive from the life of God, to draw from who God is and what he's like, not just concept, but actually him, his own life, the Holy Spirit. There's something that allows that to happen. All right, give me that next verse. All right, now listen, listen to what that is. So go back to this verse one more time. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Man, that's good news. I need that. Through the knowledge of him. Where do you get access to this great stuff, this treasure box full of things that our hearts really need? Through the knowledge of 
Him who has called you. And we keep reading. By which he's granted to us precious and very great promises. Right? God has made known to us promises. Did you know that? Did you know promises are something that you know? Do you know what they are? Do you have any idea what God has promised you? I mean, I can almost guarantee you if I went around the room and say, I said, write out as many promises as you can. Some of us would produce a really, really, really short list because we're just not mindful of it. But if I put those movies back up there again, you could list all the characters by name for them, though, right? Because you know some stuff, but you don't know some other stuff, do you? And that's going to be my whole point tonight is there are some things that you and I need to know. If we, if we want to live in the real-life drama of what God is doing in this world, we need to know something about him. And when we go on down the passage there, he's granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowing something, learning something from God, about God, from his word. Right, this is no small thing. Right? If you follow, look in your outline there. If you follow the Apostle Peter in the rest of this letter in 2 Peter, he highlights this. Listen to what he says and listen to how he connects it to knowledge. Chapter 1, verse 2, he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you, in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Like, I can wish peace for you all I want. And, I can, and you can wish peace for yourself. But that peace comes through the knowledge of God. Do you understand? Sometimes we just fall in love with something that we really want to have and we don't recognize, hey, there's a road that leads to that thing. And if you want to get to that thing, you have to travel down that road. And so the knowledge of God is like that. There are things that we want in our lives. We'd love to be at peace with who we are. What's going to happen for the rest of our lives? But to get there, you're going to have to know something about God. First, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20. They have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, that could be a message all by itself. Because they escaped something through the knowledge of God, of two things mentioned about God. Him being Lord and Him being Savior in your life. You escape by your understanding, your encounter with, your knowing God as your Lord and as your Savior. And that's not my assignment, so I don't get to really preach that. Second Peter chapter 3, a little bit later he says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in. So whatever knowledge you came into this camp with, God expects there to be more. There's more than what you know. Now, I know you know that, but you know, I almost feel like, you know, even in this many years of walking with the Lord, I feel like I, I, you know, I've pulled up to the Pacific Ocean. How many of you guys have ever been to the Pacific Ocean? It's, just, it's different than the Atlantic. I mean, you stand on these cliffs and just, you just see this massive waves and color. And I feel like what I've done with the knowledge of God, personally, is, is you know, to take like a little thimble that, you know, when you're sewing, you stick it on the end of your finger. It's about that big. And scoop that into the Pacific Ocean. And look at all I know. I'm so smart. Look what I know about God. It fits in this little thimble. Right, so you're here 
with an awareness there's more. There's more to know about God. There's more to experience as you know God. Don't start thinking you've arrived. Don't start thinking, well, I've been in church a long time. I've been around the Bible a good bit. I've heard a lot of these stories. Listen, there's a depth to knowing God here that God is talking about. That's like a thimble out of the ocean in terms of what we know right now. All right, so knowledge for the Apostle Peter is a massive thing. And it's a massive thing for you. It's, it's going to be something if you will continue to add knowledge to your life, it's going to fill out this movie drama of what God is doing in your life. Now, if I had to title this after a movie, I would call it this, World War K. All right, you guys remember this scene from World War Z? Well, I would call this World War K because there is a massive war taking place in this world today for the knowledge that will be in your head and in your heart. There's a massive war that's taking place. And I'm going to walk you through the history of this war and bring you up to modern day. So that's going to be our storyline here. Um, how many of you guys know that there's always, always been a massive war for knowledge? Right? This didn't just begin with you. This isn't just your generation all of a sudden has this massive fight because you live in the information age, but you do. There's always been a massive war for knowledge. Always, from as far back in time as you can go. And you know, one of the interesting things about the plot in this actual movie, this World War Z movie, is you know, there's this viral outbreak that comes into the world. And it starts to travel rapidly through all of humanity. And it's turning people into zombies, right? They bite each other and one after another turns a zombie after that. And so the main character here, he's, he's charged with trying to solve this, trying to figure this thing out. How do we deal with this epidemic problem that's breaking out among us? Well, they, they come to this conclusion. If we're going to figure out what to do right here and right now with this problem, we have to figure out how it started. And so he gets sent back across the world to try and find out how did this viral infection get started? What was the epicenter of this? All right, well, you and I are living our own World War K. And if you and I go back in time to figure out how did this world, this war, get started, we're going to end up in Genesis chapter 3. So if you had a Bible there, or you can read from the screen, I think we're going to put it up there as well. But if you've got a Bible, that would be even cooler. All right, here's the epicenter. Here's where this war starts. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1 says this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, 
who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew. They knew something. They had acquired knowledge. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. All right, you guys remember, because this verse doesn't tell you. It just tells you there was a tree, but it doesn't tell you about the tree, does it? Do you guys know what that tree was? What was that tree called? The tree of knowledge, right, of good and evil. And, and earlier on in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, 16, God, had, God hadn't said much to man. If you go back and read the, the garden account, there's not a lot of dialogue that's recorded between God and man, but, but this is recorded, verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So, what's going on here? What, what is this all about, right? You guys know the story, but, but let's stop and think about it for a minute. God creates, and he puts a tree that they know is there, and he just simply he says, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not, do not eat from this. But what do you draw from that, right? This is, this is a message about knowledge. Do you, do you think God didn't want them to know anything? You think that was God's plan? You think God created Adam and Eve and he said, hey, I just, just want two stupid people in the garden. I don't want anybody knowing anything. You guys just stay stupid. Stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you think they didn't know anything? You think there was nothing for them to know? They were just going to walk around like, like robots waiting for somebody to boot them up and turn them off and boot them up? And Do you think it was just flat, boring in the garden, hanging out in the garden? You think Adam and Eve were there like, good night, I hope, hope something happens around here. This is the most boring thing I have ever could think of. That's not how the garden is depicted. That's not how man's existence is depicted. Right? Man was given this adventurous experience of being placed in a garden with a world that appears to need to be subdued by man. And man's going to have to be creative. and He's going to have to use engineering thinking, and he's going to have to use tactics and strategies to subdue the earth. He's going to have to be creative. Everything that you and I can imagine, he'll have to be athletic. Everything that he could do, coordinated. He's going to have to think. He's going to have to learn and understand some things. There's all kinds of stuff for him to know. This is a place where there was knowledge. But you just don't acquire that knowledge through that. See, there was, a, there was a time in which man had the opportunity to know everything through God. Everything that would come into his life, he would understand in its proper relationship to God, the creator. There would no be, never be any independence. They would walk in friendship and in fellowship with God. And God would lead them through life and reveal one thing after another to them. The knowledge that they were to have was going to come from God. Or they could choose the tree. And the tree would not provide its knowledge from God. 
they would find another source for knowing things. But you guys know the rest of the story, right? That bite of that apple was like a bite in the zombie movie, man. They took one bite and chaos broke out everywhere. Suddenly the world began to unravel. Things began to shrivel up. There was hostilities. There was brokenness, right? The first family, you guys think you have conflicts? Right? These guys had problems, right? Cain, Abel. Cain rises up, kills Abel. You guys know these stories, right? The world came apart. What was it that made the world come apart? It was the knowledge they got from that tree that they didn't get from God. And they didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know how to handle it. They didn't know how to manage it. And in some way, the devil was right. You're, you're going to get a hold of something here. You're, in some sense, you're going to be like God because God doesn't have anybody managing knowledge for him. He just knows it all and it's all in him. And you can be like that too. But the only problem was you and I can't handle being like that. We need God and the knowledge of God in order to acquire the knowledge of other things. Right? Do you understand? You, you abuse the things that are in your life when you don't let God teach you about them. You don't let God put them in the right place in your life. They become too big. They become destructive. You hurt them. They hurt you. Right? And this is the outbreak, right? There's this massive outbreak that takes place in the garden this day when suddenly there's been a bite and just destruction is everywhere. Right? You guys ever heard the phrase, knowledge is power? Heard that phrase? So it's a credit to a guy years and years ago. Sir Francis Bacon was supposedly the guy who said that back in like 1597. But there's some guys who said this earlier. Listen, this is an imam from the Middle East who records this. He says, knowledge is power. And it can command obedience. A man of knowledge during his lifetime can make people obey and follow him. And he is praised and venerated after his death. Remember that knowledge is a ruler and wealth is its subject, right? So there's something about knowledge that's got power in it. You and I are drawn to power, and so we're drawn to knowledge. Even Thomas Jefferson, one of our own Americans, said, knowledge is power. Knowledge is safety. Knowledge is happiness. All right, so go back to the beginning here. We're, we're back in the garden, and, and a war outbreak is going to take place. And you're, you're the devil, and your strategy is to break this war out. How? With knowledge. That's what I'm going to use. I'm going to use knowledge to corrupt humanity. Wow, that's an interesting strategy. I would not have thought that. I mean, I've been looking for nuclear weapons or something. He's looking for knowledge to corrupt humanity. All right, listen, why does this matter? Right? I think I wrote this in your outline there. What you see in this passage fundamentally is our, our existence as creatures, right? This knowledge element. We live a particular life because we know particular things. The life you live is coming out of the stuff you know. How you feel about something. What you want to pursue. What you set your hopes in what you're afraid of. Where's all that coming from? It comes from your 
knowledge. It comes from what you know, what you've got deep down inside of you. So the devil comes along, and this is how he tempts. He takes knowledge, and he holds it in front of them. And this is what knowledge looked like from a distance, right? When you're Adam and Eve, and you're staring at this thing called the tree of knowledge, Genesis 3, verse 6 says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate as well. Okay, listen. Knowledge is tempting. Did you know knowledge is tempting? Do you know you can be tempted by knowing certain things, exposing yourself to certain ideas, certain entertainments, certain values, certain images. All that stuff is knowledge, right? You're just acquiring knowledge and information when you do that. And it's tempting. I mean, you're at a youth camp. Certainly there's going to be some time where you're confronted with the thought that, that maybe you've been looking at some stuff you shouldn't be looking at. Or you've been listening to some stuff you shouldn't be listening to. Right? So here comes flooding this moral component element. And so you're going to get this sense that I, I, I probably shouldn't be doing that. Oh, I probably shouldn't be doing that, man. At youth camp and, you know, I, I want to be more serious about God. I probably shouldn't be doing that. Um, all right, listen, can I just tell you that knowledge is never going to come to you advertising that. It's never going to come and say, hey, you probably shouldn't be doing this. But, can I sell you this? But you probably shouldn't be doing this. But, the tree of knowledge didn't stand at a distance and go, no. You probably shouldn't. It didn't. It, this is how it looked to them. It looked good for food. Look at that. Oh, man, that looks, that looks good, doesn't it? Oh, that looks good. That's what it looked like. By the way, nothing is tempting until you start feeling that way. Right? You don't give in to a temptation until it, it draws on you. It pulls on you. So just think about that. It was good for Food, it's good to satisfy some kind of inner craving, some inner hunger, some desire on the inside of me. Right? How many of you guys know that you sometimes are responding to this inner desire by reaching out and grabbing some kind of piece of knowledge? It, 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 it could be pornographic because there's a desire in you. It could be something that's risky and edgy because there's a desire in you. So you reach out for that knowledge. See, these desires are like hungers. So this tree of knowledge, it was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. It was delightful. Right, guys, I mean, can you please don't do this? Can you please not walk away from youth camp like a, like a Christian idiot? And walk out into the world and go, wow, I'm so surprised by the pleasures that are out there. I just didn't see them coming. Really? They're, they're in chapter 2, or 3 of the Bible. The Bible comes right out and tells you, don't be an idiot. Out in this world, there's going to be pleasures that you're going to find them delightful to the eyes. Oh, you know, I gave into that. Well, what? You thought it was going to be horrible? No, it just looked really tempting. Tempting like what? Like pleasurable tempting? Yeah, yeah. Nobody be stupid when you leave here. The rest of your life, there is a knowledge out there for you to acquire in your life. 
that when you first gaze on it, it's not going to advertise it as, I'm here to ruin you. You see those burning buildings in the background, the smoke everywhere, and this scared family running for their lives? That's what I'm here for. Here, have a bite. It's never going to present itself to you that way. It's going to feel delightful. It's going to feel like a pleasure. It's going to feel like it's going to take you one more step into something really, really good. But get that image in your head. Those people running scared from destruction in their background, escaping, as 2 Peter says, they're escaping the passions of this world. That's what they're running from. But when you meet the tree of knowledge, it will not present itself that way. It's going to present itself as good for food, delightful to the eyes, and desirable to make one wise. That's a loaded one. Think about this one with me for a second. Desirable to make one wise. You, you can get a, if you know the right stuff, you get around, you get yourself around the right stuff, you can create a reputation for yourself that other people think you're wise. Now, now, let, now don't, don't freak out on that word wise because none of y'all want to be like, I want to be wise like Cliff. I'm going to be old and wise, you know. Nobody wants that. I mean, I'm 53, and I don't even want that. But, uh, but we just want to be cooler. We want to be wiser. We want to be an upgrade. So maybe you don't want to be, like, math-wise, but you might want to be Xbox-wise, right? You might want to have the reputation amongst your friends that nobody can beat you in whatever some game, that when you go online and all your friends get on with you, you win every time. And you just like the way that feels. That, that competitive thing, you're known for that. Or, or maybe you're into athletics and you just want to be NBA, NFL-wise, man. You just, you just want to know who's trading who, who's doing what, what's going on in camp right now. You're up on all the latest uh, or, or maybe just really athletic, you're just really into athletics, and you just want to be known as the person who's wiser than everybody else in that category. I'm just, I'm just better. I'm known for that. I've got a reputation. I'm really, I'm really good at athletics. Or, or maybe you just want to be music-wise, you know? You want to be into the really hip group, the group that's really popular and trendy, and, and you just want to look like you're in, you understand them, and you, you know all their songs. You've got, you've got, you've downloaded their latest. I mean, you're, that's you. You just want that reputation. See, that's what this thing does to you. Maybe you, just, maybe you want to be Instagram-wise, right? I know this is an epidemic problem. I mean, I read about it all the time. But the person who posts in order to see how many likes I'm going to get, put this out and go back and check an hour later. It's like fishing. Did I get a bite? Go back and see. Nobody said anything. Nobody liked it, right? And the depression just sets in. Your audience is just not promoting you. Listen, that's what they, it was desirable to me. This can give me status. If I just eat that thing, man, if I just get this out there, I get status with people. All right, all right that's what the tree was offering. That's what knowledge is offering. All right, now here's, here's a quick episode run here, right? So if, if our movie is World War K, and episode one is back in Genesis, Let's fast forward now. Let's, we're going to fast forward all the way to today, but we're going to fast forward through some time. Episode one, two would be the Jeremiah episode. Let's just call it that. Jeremiah chapter 9. Do right, you guys remember Jeremiah from the Bible? 
I probably don't remember where he is in the Bible, but he's, he's several thousand years after the Garden of Eden. Right? And he's about 600 years before Jesus comes. So here's, here's the setting for Jeremiah. He's the leader of a nation that has just come through a, a, a time and a season sort of like America. Man, I, Israel's been doing well. They are the main economic force in the world. They have conquered nations. They have set things up. They've got a flourishing economy. There's buku money in people's lives. It's like living in suburban America right now, right? And so along comes Jeremiah, and God begins to bring judgment against this people because of the way in which they've lived. And listen to what he says in Jeremiah 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord... Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. And let not the rich man boast in his riches. Right? You boast in stuff that you have confidence over. This is who I am. You know who I am? You know, I'm related to this person. I've got this much money. If you had a lot of money right now and you knew your family was wealthy and everybody knew your family was wealthy and you drove up to youth camp in some really hot car and you got out, right? There's a bit of a boasting thing going on, right? You, you kind of walk with a little swagger in your step because you, know, you kind of like, you know who I am. Right? That's what boasting does, right? And that's just the conditions. These guys were, they had an attitude about who they were. He says this, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I'm the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Listen, we are a couple of thousand years, a few thousand years at least, after the Garden of Eden. And you still got the same choices. You can have the knowledge of God, or you can eat from that tree over there. And these guys are eating from the tree one season after another, and their attitude reflects it, and their hope for the future is all about being wise or about being mighty or about being rich. All right, I know you guys aren't looking at going out and finding a job anytime soon and maybe developing a career, but you know, you're, you're still going, you're getting educated for something because that's gonna lead to something else. And it's going to put you in a position in life to be something else. You know, so you know, are you signing on for what? You signing on for wisdom? You know, you're going to grasp that future. Like we talked about all these movies, they, they long for a future and a hope. You're, you're going to grasp that what? By, by being wealthy, you're going to get a job that's going to make a lot of money? Is, is that how you're going to get there? Are, are you going to be mighty? You're going to create a reputation? Because you're really good at something, right? right? I mean, you're talented. People know that about you. And so, you know, you're going to grow up and be super duper talented in this area. And so what, you're going to be mighty because of that, right? It's very tempting to transfer your hope and your confidence into these kinds of categories. God turns to our lives and he says, listen, you want to put your confidence somewhere? You want to boast in something and show that you have your trust in a location? Put it here. Put it in that you understand and know me. But you live in a time when there's a war going on for what you're going to know. Why, was, why were things so bad, right? This, this scenery could be Jeremiah's day. Right? Things were coming apart. The, the, the world for Israel was falling to pieces under the judgment, the hand of pending judgment from God. And their lives were falling to pieces. And God says this a little bit earlier. Jeremiah 9, verse 12. He says, who, who is the man 
so wise that he can understand this? To whom is the mouth of the Lord spoken that he may declare it? Why is the land ruined and laid waste like a wilderness so that no one passes through? Why? Right? This is like the beginning of this zombie movie. Why is this going on? What was the epicenter of this? What created these conditions to where there's just fallout and destruction everywhere? Now listen, I, I get this. The landscape of your life right now is a teenage landscape. So, you know, if I ask all you teenagers, how many of y'all are divorced? Right, so no one. But you know, if I did this with an adult audience, you know how many hands would go up? How many of you guys have, uh, right, right? How many of you guys used to have a best friend you don't have anymore? Wow, right? What's up with that? Right, I mean, that's just one example of in some way the wheels start to come off of your life and things begin to get ruinous and I don't even want to run down the road of you know what happened in that relationship where you responded to that person why what did you say what did you not say how did you influence that relationship what steps did you take you understand all that stuff is knowledge you learned to do that from someone. You got that from the tree of knowledge or you got that from the knowledge of God? Listen, before you can blink, you guys are two or three steps away from picking a spouse. And you're going to do that based in knowledge. So is that going to be knowledge of, ooh, I just, I just like to get around people who make me feel really special and important and they think everything I say is funny and they always think my breath doesn't stink and they always laugh at my jokes and I am just everything to them. Oh, I just want to marry someone like that. And you come along and somebody, I promise you this, I do a lot of marriage counseling. This is how it works out. I'm just warning you. Any knucklehead can pull off making you feel that way for about six months. And then in six months, you can make a decision that you want to marry that person. And then over the next six months, you plan the wedding. And while you're planning the wedding, you're all kind of excited. You know, it's like wedding dresses and picking a place. And oh, I'm just thinking we're going to get a horse-drawn carriage and we're going to go here on our honeymoon. And it's just spectacular, right? And so you get married, but that dude had about a six-month battery of being impressed with you and making you feel like you always wanted to feel. But his batteries run out now. He's a knucklehead and he's selfish and he can't keep that act up much longer. And you can't understand why he just stares at the TV and flips channels and doesn't even know you exist right now. Well, because he could stop flipping channels for six months. Anybody can. And you make a decision. Just like that, you made a decision. Do you know why you were vulnerable to make that decision? Because when you were a teenager right now, you trained yourself from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that the most important thing is that people make you feel special. Where did you get that idea? I don't know. Disney Channel? Uh, friends at school? Snapchat? I don't know. It's in you, though, because you're always acquiring knowledge. You're always adding knowledge to your soul. And at some point, you're going to make big decisions with the knowledge you've stored inside of you. This war matters. 
And that moment when you've got to draw from what you've put in that knowledge tank, it's coming faster than you can imagine. And you are going to live in the consequences of the knowledge that you have inside of you and how that knowledge and where it came from and why it sits in you the way that it does. God says, why is the land ruined, laid in waste? Verse 13, he says, the Lord says, because they have forsaken my law that I set before them. And they have not obeyed my voice or walked in accord with it, but have stubbornly followed their own hearts. Right? Their own stored up knowledge in their hearts and have gone after the Baals as their fathers taught them. And chaos has entered into their world as a result. All right, fast forward from the Jeremiah episode. Let's go to the John episode. This is some 700 years later after the Jeremiah episode. And we read this. This is the Apostle John. He's writing just about the time when Jesus had come. Right after that, he says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. Now listen, listen carefully. All that's in the world. Listen to this description and remember our visit to Genesis. Because this sounds just like the tree looked what? Just like this. The desires of the flesh. There's three of them. The desires of the eyes and the pride of possessions. It sounds just like what the tree offered them and called out these desires and these pleasures and this ability to make one able to boast in something and be wise. And John says, this is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Right, so you're back with this same kind. Of, see, this, this episode just keeps playing out over and over again, doesn't it? In the garden, there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was knowledge that you could get from God. In Jeremiah's day, there were the Baals, and there were ideas that you could get from the world, and there was a knowledge you could get from God. And here in John, he writes again. He says, there is a knowledge that comes from the Father, and there's a knowledge that comes from the world. Where are you getting your knowledge from? How is it coming to you? And then John also says this in John 17, 3. He records this, Jesus saying this. And in this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I remember this. Second Peter advertises this. He says, He has granted to us all things pertaining to life through the knowledge of Him. Right? That's what it says. He has granted to us all things pertaining to life through the knowledge of Him. John turns around and says something very similar. He says, In this is life that you know the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So if I'm the devil, and you and I live in the theater of this warfare, why, why is there a war on knowledge? Why tempt people with knowledge? Why world war knowledge? Well, quite simply because we live our lives out of what we know. That's just how you live. You live your life out of what you know, 
out of what you've exposed yourself to, out of what you've received and embraced and put your faith in and started to believe and put value in it, you're just going to take your next step based on that. You see those little clouds in your uh, outline? A couple of brain facts for you. Did you know your brain, on average, weighs about three pounds? That's not a lot, is it? Right? For a guy that weighs as much as Jeff does, that's not a lot, Jeff. Three pounds. <laughs> and your brain is made up, listen, of 100 billion cells. 100 billion cells, right? That's what makes up your brain. Now, here's what's really interesting here. I'm not sure how they figured this out, but lots of researchers say this is true. Your brain thinks 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day. 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day. I have no idea how they track that. But, man, there was this argument I researched on it, and then people just kept coming back to you. Actually, it came coming back to 70. I'm thinking, that just sounds like a lot. I don't know. Why, why, does that, why does that matter? Well, you know, in the same way that your brain is made up of these cells that come together, next thing they've accumulated enough cells to weigh three pounds, and your brain now can function. The Bible describes something on the inside of us, and it's not talking about our brain, the organ itself. It's talking about this inner storage place. It, it uses the term the mind. You know, we're supposed to renew our minds. And it uses the term the heart. And when it, the Bible uses the term heart, it's almost never referring to the thing going boom in your chest. It's talking about that, that centerpiece, soulish piece of you that sort of is at the center of why you are what you are and why you do what you do and how you live your life. And so into the mind, if you will, and into the, the heart of who you are comes 70,000 thoughts a day making up this little mind-heart thing that when you go to live your life tomorrow, you're going to live your life out of that thing. So whatever it is that you have built over all this time into that space, it's going to direct your life. This is why there's a war on knowledge. This is why in Genesis chapter 3, the devil stands back for a moment and says, what do I go after? What do I want to go after here? To bring this whole thing down, I'm going to go after what they know and how they know it. Because how they know it is as critical as what they know. Because it's not as though everything that was in the tree of knowledge of good and evil in and of itself couldn't be known. It's just that they didn't have the capacity in themselves to know it apart from God. They didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know how to respond to it. They didn't know how to value it. They didn't know what was important, where it was supposed to go. So they do things like kill their brother. And you and I do things out of the knowledge that we gain. You're going to live out of this knowledge that you are acquiring. All right, fast forward. We've gone from Garden of Eden to Jeremiah to John to today. And there is a knowledge war taking place. World war knowledge is as rampant as it's ever been. If I, can, I think I can say this without an ounce of exaggeration. It is as heightened as it has ever been. You are a generation being raised in the greatest warfare of knowledge that's ever existed. The amount of ideas you get exposed to on a daily basis. And you guys, uh, how many guys were alive in 1995 besides the old people? 
All right, so none of you guys were alive when I'm going to tell this story. This was really cool. Um, all right, so 1995, I'm a youth pastor. I'm, I'm living in my house not far from the church, and I've got a computer. They had computers back then. I don't know if they had laptops. They didn't have laptops, though, right? So they've got a computer. I've got it sitting in this piece of furniture. I can still remember where it's sitting on my house on Cena Drive. Open the things up. 1995, I've got two little girls. So probably they're finally in bed, and I get a chance to go online. Man, this is radical. It's like you sit down, you pull up, you type in your password name to AOL. How many of you guys know what AOL means? Yes. America Online. And you would type it in and you'd hit enter and it would make this strange screeching chirping noise. And you'd stare at the screen and you'd wait. And within about 30 seconds, because that's how long stuff used to take, 30 seconds, pretty long. The whole world would open up to you on the screen. And all of a sudden, from inside my house in Metairie, I could go to China. I could go anywhere. And what was weird was, you know, you had your mouse and you'd click on stuff. And you'd go to one website, because they really only had websites back then. You'd go to one website and you'd see something and it would have a link to another one. Or you'd do a search and there were several and sometimes I would just, I was fascinated with the idea that I could do this all night long and I'd never get to the, is there an edge to this cyber universe? Do you ever run out of space? It was like knowledge after knowledge after knowledge. It was intriguing. This is 1995. They're not even going to invent the smartphone for another 10 years at least. And then things rapidly changed. In 1995, well, 1997, I guess it was, you get the invention of the iPhone. You actually had the smartphone before the iPhone, but you know, you're starting down the way of all that computer connection stuff doesn't just have to wait in your house. You can take it with you everywhere you go. Every minute of your life, you can expose yourself to knowledge there's thoughts out there. There's entertainment out there. There's funny jokes out there. There's serious issues out there. There's commentary out there. There's everything out there, right? So all of a sudden, your generation is exposed to so much knowledge that comes to you, right? So you've got this overload thing happening in your life. I mean, there was a, there was a generation when just, you know... You barely even had the newspaper to read. The amount of information you were exposed to was so small and so little. If you interacted with people, you had to do it face to face. And if they didn't live near you, you might not interact with anybody for days. I mean, this is, this is like crazy, isn't it? This sounds like another world to you guys. Because you instantly access. As a matter of fact, your friends are always with you, aren't they? Always with you. You just decide, do you want to text? Instantly, they're there and they'll respond. Snapchat, instant. There they are. Boom. You're bored? Pull out a game. Play pool with somebody on the other side of the world. Ah, no problem. Right? You just want to watch something weird? There's a YouTube video for that. 
right? I mean, there's just one weird thing after another that you can just absorb yourself in checking out another piece of knowledge and another piece of knowledge and another piece of knowledge. And next thing you know, you 70,000 pieces of knowledge have come to you through your device. But that verse, put that verse back up here, I think the next slide. This verse doesn't invite us just into any kind of knowledge. It invites us into the knowledge of God. And if you were to think right now, with your device lifestyle and your screens that are available and all the buttons that you press and all the places that you go and all the connections that you make, you got 70,000 thoughts crowding in your head, flying in. How many of those thoughts for you are about knowing God? See, the war hasn't gone away, has it? Adam and Eve stood in the garden. They had an opportunity to live their life knowing God and everything, every piece of knowledge that they would have ever gotten and they would have gotten much, they would have traveled into the mind of God for eternity. They had never run out of knowing things. But instead, they chose that. Knowledge over there. I'll take that. And listen, that's still available to you and to me today. And you and I can make a decision on a daily basis. And this passage calls on us to do that, right? There's divine power, that mysterious power all of us want to tap into it. It's available. It's granted to us some things that pertain to life and godliness. Your heart longs to be alive. It longs to experience love and meaningfulness care and generosity and serving. It's longing for that stuff. And God says he's granted to us by his power through the knowledge of him. Right now, now, listen, when you read your Bible, do you read your Bible like that actually means something? Do you read your Bible like if I pull the, the, the little pink looking color stuff out of there, his divine power is granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness, but you don't need to know him to have that. Is that what that verse says? You don't need to know him. God seems to make it sound as though all this treasure of life that God wants to connect to the human race comes through knowing him. And that's what he said all over the place. He's corrected every generation with the same revelation that if you'll know me, you'll have these things. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement with knowledge. Make every effort. I, I don't know how to say this. And I mean, I read the Bible, I find a great big God doing a lot of things that none of us deserve, none of us created, none of us motivated God to do. But I read verses like this, and it turns around in my face and it says, There's something about some effort that's going to be involved here. You are going to have to exercise effort to know God. Unfortunately, and I read a lot about this because I'm just curious about how we live our lives, uh, most of us don't want hard knowledge. We want easy, lazy knowledge. That's why the average person stares at a Google page for less than 20 seconds. How much can you learn in 20 seconds? That's all I'm interested in. 
I glance for 20 seconds. If, you, if you're European, you glance for 24 seconds. I'm not sure why, but 20 seconds, and then you move on to the next page. 20 seconds, you move on. They did actually a study. They hooked up this gadget to people's eyes, and this is what they do. They, they read the page in an F pattern. They read twice this way and then down, and then they flip to the next page. Because you know to pay attention to something, to really read it, think about it, ponder it, absorb it, say what it's really thinking and saying to me. And what does it mean to me? How does this affect me? Do I agree with that? Do I want to come alongside that? Do I need to change anything in my life? Do I need to consider how that's valuable to me and should change the course of my life? I can't do that in 20 seconds because I don't want to do that in 20 seconds. I just want to eat like a lazy termite. I want to eat stuff that's easy to eat. And God says, make every Somebody needs to install something in our lives that says, you know, if, if you're not going to engage God, you're not going to know him either. You will seek me and find me, God says, when you search for me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. So listen, guys, you, you, you can't leave this youth camp thinking that you're going to have this deep, impacting, amazing encounter and, and, and relationship with God, but... Your 70,000 thoughts are going to be used up here. It's not going to happen, right? I want to, I want to pray for us in just a moment. So I guess, Ben, you guys can come on back up here. Um, all right, let me just share something from, from me. I look back over my life. And I think this, this may have been probably multiple factors, but this may have been the most important thing that happened in my young Christian life. I got, I got saved right before I turned 15 years old. So I was 14, just about to turn 15, and I got saved. And I, and I had been reading the Bible before I got saved. I, did, I got a hold of a Bible. I was curious about it. I'm trying to figure out what it says. So I found myself reading this Bible. And part of that reading was preparing me for what God was about to do in my life and saving me. But after I got saved, and I don't remember how long after I got saved, but I do remember throughout my high school years. I got saved as a freshman. Throughout my high school years, somehow, and I don't know how this got started, I made a decision, and it was more than a decision. It was a commitment. I made a commitment to not let a day go by that I did not read three chapters from the Bible. I don't know how I came up with that. I just have no recollection of how. I just remember making it happen. I remember nights when I'd come home and it was long and I'm laying in bed and I'm, I'm tired and I'm about to go to sleep and I didn't read my three chapters and the last thing in the world I felt like doing was reading right then, but something in me said read and I did. And I would drag myself out of bed. If I started to fall asleep and I remembered, you didn't read your Bible. I would, and listen, I didn't have a church. I didn't have a youth group. I didn't have a youth pastor. I had none of those things. But somehow God had made real in my life that if I wanted to know him, I was going to need to know him. And I picked the Bible up every day and read three chapters in it every day. I didn't have one of these. I didn't have AOL even then. I think a video game was two stick lines that when a ball went boop, 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 boop. Right, so probably, honestly, 
it was probably a lot easier for me to read my Bible than it will be for you. Because in the chapter of the world war knowledge that you live in, what the enemy has done is he is drowning you in knowledge. He is using knowledge to drown you with it so that it never runs out and you never stop being curious and there's never another video that you don't want to see what some guy on a skateboard did and and some response to somebody who uh, Snapchatted you some image that you want to, some meme that somebody was really funny that you need to forward to somebody else. Just, it never stops, does it? It's just an unending pile of information. Yet your drama line is you want to touch the divine nature of God. That's what you want. That's what Adam and Eve lost. You want that life. You want to taste that life. You want to experience that life. And God says you experience that through the knowledge of him. So to your faith, you can be here well-intended in faith. And you heard last night about adding virtue. You need to add knowledge. You're going to need to make a decision. Do you want to do what you need to do to get around the knowledge of God. Because this stuff, you're not going to experience this stuff apart from the knowledge of God. I mean, go read what the Bible says about the knowledge of God. You're not going to experience God this way. And and the mistake you're going to make, I fear for this generation because you guys have taken this knowledge that you're gaining through settings like this and you've stuck it amongst all your 70,000 thoughts a day knowledge of something else and this knowledge isn't impacting you and you travel through your high school years and you get to the end of it and you're going to look back over your Christianity and you go, no big deal. Didn't do much for me. And you're going to conclude something about whether it's real, whether God's real. I had no question whether God was real. He had turned my life upside down. He had made me stop wanting things that I really wanted before. He had made me start living for things that I never would have lived before. Yeah, I mean, you guys have, you, you didn't know me then. So there's, there's no way I'm standing in front of you and speaking to you. No way. It's never going to happen. And yet God writes a script for a guy who didn't ever want to stand in front of people. He says, hey, in my storyline, you're standing in front of people all the time. How do I know God's real? Because he turned me into somebody that I could never have turned myself into. He made me stop things that I had no interest in stopping. I actually enjoyed those things. But suddenly God did something greater. I didn't want that anymore. I wanted something else. Listen, that's that's the power of God touching our life. And we come to know him. We come to know that power. But your generation has to fight World War K the way you've got to fight it. I didn't have to fight this. You have to fight it. And you're going to have to fight different. So can we pray tonight? Can we ask God to help us in this chapter, this war for knowledge? Can you stand here tonight and say, God, I'm hearing some things about knowing you that, God, you're not far enough up my list. In the 70,000 thoughts of my day, you are really quiet. And you're not what I'm pursuing. Can you own that if that's where you are tonight? What God wants to do in your life as you open up. Maybe it's just three chapters a day. Maybe it's you just making a decision. I'm going to be around God just three chapters a day. Who knows what he might do in your life. Let's, let's stand up together and pray together.
Lord, only you can, only you can bring light into darkness, Lord. You are light. The Bible says that in your light we see light. And so, Lord, each of us, we're young and old, we all are living in an age where we're drowning in knowledge. Lord, tonight is a, is a night to be honest. It's a night to be real. It's a night to connect with what you reveal to us. And so, Lord, if I'm filling up 69,999 thoughts and I'm leaving one for you, Lord, is it any wonder I'm having a hard time? Is it any wonder that you feel distant and you don't feel real to me? Is it any wonder I don't sense your presence? Is it any wonder that I don't remember the last time I was convicted about something? Or the last time I was inspired to take some step of faith and some courageous act that I never would have done on my own? God, I don't remember those moments. God, I don't remember the last time I sensed hope in the midst of despairing circumstances. People weren't relating to me a certain way. Things weren't going right. My family was coming apart at the seams. But you were doing something deep inside of me. God, I don't remember those times. Lord, we can't exist on one little bitty thought competing with 69,000 of Or maybe you've brought us here because there's more. There's more. Lord, tonight, would you... Find a way to invade some of those thoughts with your light and your truth and your word. And Lord, my great joy and peace to pray for these guys here tonight is because you did that in me. I know you do it because I've received it. And Lord, I'm so grateful all the ways that I could have spent my thoughts elsewhere, you did that for me. God, would you do that tonight? Would you do that here this week at youth camp? Lord, would you invade some kids' lives? Lord, that some teenagers would launch from this place and they would be 20, 30 years from now remembering back when God found a space and they began to read their Bible on a daily basis and made room for you and the knowledge of God that they acquired changed everything about their world. God, tonight, that could be tonight, Lord. The start of something that'll never come to an end. Oh God, thank you for moments like that. Thank you for what you offer. I want you guys just to listen, be sensitive to God for a moment. God will speak something here to you. I'm going to pray for you. But I want you to count the cost before you come to get prayed for. The cost is effort. Make every effort. Are you willing to put forth effort to know God? Are you willing to put down a device? Are you willing to know something else less so that you might know him more? Are you willing to do that when you don't feel like doing it? Are you willing to do that when you're tired? 
You're willing to do that when you're busy. You're willing to do that when that thing over there looks really fun. Listen, tonight, if, if you want to begin a new interaction with God, can, can we just pray for you? If you're, if you're here tonight and you want to do that, I want to ask folks to pray for you. So can I ask you to come forward and move some stuff out of the way and you guys count some cost. And here's the great thing about what God does. The Bible uses these terms back to back. In one place it says, strive by the Spirit. Strive by the Spirit. Make every effort, but you know, God meets us by the Spirit. But what you need to own is not, well, I'll just wait for the Spirit. No, the Spirit will own the Spirit part, but you're going to have to take a step. But the Spirit's going to meet you when you do. and You're going to find ability and energy to do some of these things. But I want to pray for you guys. So if you're here tonight and you're saying, you know, my pursuit of the knowledge of God is not where it needs to be. And it's not where I want it to be. And I want God to do something from this day forward to change that. I want you to come stand up here and let us pray for you.